Okay, so welcome to the next episode of the UX Mastery Podcast. I have the very good fortune to be speaking with Mr. Dave Gray. Welcome, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here, Matt. So why don't we start by you telling our readers a little bit about yourself, Dave? Okay. Uh, I'm a designer by training. Uh, became an entrepreneur in 1993 when I started my company. Um, designer by training became a information uh, visual journalist. I did information graphics. Uh, then uh, started a company in 1993, which has grown and sort of grew from being a designer into a business person and now even a, uh, a business consultancy where, you know, we're, we sort of found a sweet spot within companies where um, visualization is, is extremely powerful for driving business strategy and, and moving people forward. So. I, my company is called Explain, and we operate kind of like a personal trainer for organizations. We, we, um, in the same way that pers- you know, high performance athlete uses visualization to, like, picture the next stage in their evolution. I mean, we're doing that for companies every day. So, um, that's my background, and I wrote a couple books in there along the way. So you have we um. <laughs> I find that fascinating. I'm sure there's lots of listeners out there who are designers but who are entrepreneurial and uh, probably think that the pathway to entrepreneurship is you know, getting strong business skills, which is true, but your pathway has really been focused around that, that visual stuff, which is unique and interesting. Um, what, is, what is visual thinking, Dave? What, what, how do you define visual thinking and why does it matter? Um. I see visual thinking as a, a way of um, uh, using your hands and your brain. I mean, so design is about making things, right? Visual thinking is about taking the ideas that exist in a lot of people's heads and translating them into um, ideas that are visualized on paper. Um, you know, we all we're all visual thinkers in the sense that you know the the vast majority of our processing power, uh, you know, sensory information coming in and the vast a chunk of our processing power is visual, and it's the, the way that our brains work is very visual. And so uh, people are able to very, very quickly comprehend something when they can see it, when they can visualize it. And visual thinking is the process of, let's say anytime you're trying, you're planning something that you haven't done before, um, you visualize it in your head. You're planning to go, you're going to ride, take a bike ride, or you're going to go to a new place. You, before you do that thing, you visualize it in your head. Athletes will visualize themselves performing at a high level, uh, the next higher level, in order to get there. So once you can, you know, then the reason that visual thinking is so powerful is that number one, if it can't be drawn, it can't be done. If you can't draw a picture of something, then you will not be able to do it. Um, it's a, and number two. If you can visualize something, then you can, you know, if you can imagine doing it, then you have a far better chance of actually achieving that goal than if you cannot imagine it. Just try it. I mean, think about, you know, the things that you've. Uh, I'll give you an example. I was working with a um, with a group one time, and um, you know, asked them, you know, first of all, what are your goals? What are some What are some things that you'd like to achieve in the next year? And um, you know, the um, uh, and then I asked them to draw a picture of what it looked like. 
you know, if it, if it had been, you know, if it had been uh, achieved in the process for getting there. And the one group, I think they were kind of uh, maybe being a little tongue-in-cheek about the exercise, but one group chose world peace. Well, they were not able to visualize uh, world peace. They were not even able to visualize a, even a first step towards toward world peace. They had they struggled, and I think one one of the reasons that we've had as a world, you know, a trouble achieving that goal is because when would it come? You know, we probably can't visualize it. Um, and you know, figuring out what the first step to doing that is is very is a, is, a, is an important piece of that puzzle. So the only thing that so anyway. Um, if it can't be drawn, it can't be done. Uh, you know, they did admit to me they struggled with it. I think the the fact is, rather than sometimes it's more useful rather than visualizing the ultimate goal, just to try and visualize the next step along that path. What is the next step in our evolution towards that? What would be the next the next phase of that? What does it feel like? Um, uh, anyway, that's. A very long answer to your question. Sorry. No, it's very cool, and I've never really kind of made that connection, but it makes perfect sense. But we're not talking about art here, are we? We're not talking about being artistic. Do you consider yourself to be an artist? I do, but uh, I, I agree with you. That's I, I think that um, art and visual thinking are uh, perhaps related, but they are not the same thing at all. I, I'm talking about something that anyone can do, uh, I'm talking about something that um, is a uh, will accelerate your evolution if you do it, and uh, you know that people can do it, and it's it's achievable. Um, sometimes it, visual thinking is something that you just do in your head. Sometimes it's something that you do on paper. Um, the fact is that uh, as an individual, high performance athlete, for example, you can do it in your head. You can imagine the ball going through the hoop. Over and over, and you know that's what high-performance athletes will do. As an organization, as a team, you cannot do it in your head because you have to align your picture with the picture of other people. And often in organizations, that's where communication breaks down, is because we we are using the same words, but we are picturing, we are imagining different things, and so. It's only in the process of okay, you draw your, you draw what you mean by that. I'll draw what I mean by that. Or we'll have an artist in the room with us who's talking to us both and trying to draw what we both mean by that. And it's in that process of looking at it, saying yes, that's kind of right. No, that's wrong. And we s sort of imagine asking the question. Uh, okay, so we want a high performance sales team. What does that look like? What are people doing every day? What is happening? And in the course of you know answering that question, you're going to have a lot of different you know pieces of the puzzle coming together. And you've you've got you at the end of the day, you're going to only get that shared picture by actually making it explicit outside the mind. Um, you can't have a shared. It's like just like you can't share a dream with somebody else. You can't share a visualization unless you make it explicit on paper, and that's. That's why I say we're we're like a personal trainer, but for organizations, because um, you know high performance organizations are a lot like high performance athletes. You know they know that there are certain things you cannot do for yourself as well as having someone come in and be your coach or be your advisor or your trainer or whatever. And um, the the process of 
creating those visualizations of the future is, is extremely exciting. It's energizing. It drives, not only does it drive understanding, it drives alignment, people getting aligned about stuff. It also drives commitment because you're drawing st pictures of things, only things that you are going to commit to do. And the, the, the other thing that's exciting about it is it also actually drives um, uh, forward motion on whatever the strategy or the project is because by drawing a picture of it, you're already starting to move into that future space. And you're, you're also creating the, any materials that you need to communicate that stuff are just naturally going to come out as a part of that process. So not only have you got your own team aligned, but now you go out of it with some pictures to show other people, hey, here's... Here's where we're going. Here's here's the next stage in our organization's evolution. Here's the kind of things that we need to be doing. And it, it takes kind of the abstract stuff that you might see in the spreadsheet and makes it very clear so people actually can do, you know, it becomes a blueprint for action. Hmm. Um, you used some big words just then. You said <laughs> accelerate, yeah. your, accelerate your evolution. That's a big call. And... Um, hmm. You know, as kids, we have confidence in sketching and we lose that confidence. Why is that and why is it tied to evolution? What's the thing? I'm not sure I understand that question. <laughs> uh, Sorry, I've so, probably confused a bunch of stuff because you got my mind firing, right? So, no, no, that's great. So, <laughs> uh, so why is it that we stop drawing? Yeah, well, why, why do, as kids, I mean, I, so I've got, a, I've got a kid's book that I wrote and illustrated and I read it in my daughter's primary school. And I ask the kids in the class, hands up here, who's an artist? And they all put their hands up. They're all really proud of being able to communicate visually. And if you do that um, to my eldest daughter's class, who are 9 and 10, then you probably get about half the kids that are proud to say, yeah, I'm an artist, or yeah, I can right, draw. So let me answer the first question about why we typically stop. And then I can answer the second question about how it can accelerate evolution, because I think they're two different things. Fair enough. All right, so the first question why do we stop doing it? Um, I think this is actually a flaw in our education system. I think, that, uh, honestly, that's... If you look at the way that our educational system is designed, and it, it really has... Our educational system, at least in my country, and I think probably in yours, has not evolved that much since the, let's say, 1900. You know, uh, or maybe the 1930s or so, when people started moving into cities. They started moving from farms into cities. In the, in, the, in the farmlands, you had these kind of rural schoolhouses where all the kids were learning together. It was much more uh, actually probably a creative and integrated, holistic thing. When you, we moved into cities, the same kind of, we took the same kind of approach that we did to building factories and industrializing uh, the business economy into industrializing education. And so if you think about it, it made perfect sense at the time. We were trying to build... We were building a world where uh, of standardized parts uh, and standardized pr processes and procedures where people actually had to fit into that world. So we were, you know, the, the, there's some, I, I can't remember who said this, it was a, some famous educator uh, or, or somebody said, um, there's an overt curriculum and a covert curriculum and the, in, in our school systems. And the overt curriculum the, the obvious curriculum that's spoken about is reading, writing, and arithmetic. But the covert curriculum is um, what you're also learning at the same time is stand in line, do what you're told, uh, don't stand out, uh, don't do something that's unpredictable, uh, give the answer that the teacher wants, not uh, don't explore, and basically don't, 
you know, be creative. And the, so there's, there's that covert curriculum that uh, we don't even think about and that most kids are not sophisticated enough to actually understand. They're just trying to fit, they're trying to conform to the expectations of the adults. And if you think about it, it's, it's, it's not too soon after we get into that industrialized kind of uh, system that the urge and the desire to be creative and draw starts to go away. So it, 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 they're kind of, they're tied together. Now, uh, what's, so, uh, you know, how do you grade, you know, if you want conformity, you don't want creativity, you don't want people drawing because, they, you know, you can't, you know, how, you know, think about the art teacher. How do you grade, how, what's right and wrong as an answer to a drawing problem? Uh, well, visualize world peace. How do you grade something like that? How do you how do you fit that into a standard uh, educational format where it's like there's a right answer and a wrong answer and you tick it or you don't? Uh, how do teachers even teach that? So the so that's a that's that was a good solution for the problem we had at the time. Now we have a different problem because what's happened is that we are uh, we've we've now got. Um, Automation. We basically have got software and robots are going to be doing anything that can be predicted and anything that can be repeatable. And we're still training people to be robots, but we're going to have actual robots. We're not going to need people to be robots anymore. What we're going to need for, from people is that creative thinking, that um, that outside the box, to, for lack of a better term, that um, the the getting better at asking questions, getting better at understanding other people, getting better at getting aligned, getting better at getting people committed to things and, and getting them excited about creating new things, new business models, new ideas. So, you know, I do believe that our educational system will inevitably transform. It's going to happen faster in some places than in others. Um, it's interesting when you look at um, the, the percentage of super successful, high-powered, like high-level, you know, new economy CEOs that went to, that were trained in Montessori outside the typical educational system. There's a lot. Jeff Bezos, Larry Page, Sergey Brin, um, um, I think possibly Reed Hastings from Netflix. There is a number, a high percentage, higher percentage than the general population of super successful uh, tech entrepreneurs that were trained outside of that traditional industrialized education system. Surprisingly large number. And so um, so I think that's pretty fascinating. I think it's inevitable that it's gonna, there's going to be a shift. Um, unfortunately, it's not happening as fast as probably you or I would like. But I do think that what's going to happen is uh, as that educational system transforms, you're going to find that less and less that kids are stopping drawing and you're going to actually see that the kids who are drawing more are going to be more successful. They're going to have more creative ideas. They're going to be better aligned with their peers because they're going to have those conversations about what things look like. Um, they're going to be better able to achieve uh, results. So I've been on a mission for probably about 10 years now to, to try and build a, um, a curriculum that schools, at least trying to conceive of a curriculum that schools could um, adopt and apply in uh, in education in the, in the educational system. Awesome. awesome. So, okay. evolution. That's a big word. <laughs> yeah. How does visual thinking help us evolve and become better humans, rather than just uh, more successful in business? 
I guess I sort of did answer it in a way that I, I think that um, we are moving, we, as a species, we're moving from um, sort of having to scale our, our activities by being consistent and predictable and repeatable and marching in order and uh, synchronizing our bodies and that kind of thing in mm. you know, a factory assembly line to actually a, a phase in our, our evolution where we those things are going to be taken care of and we need to figure out what else we want to do. Uh, what is the, you know, what is the, the next great uh, business model? What's the next Uber or the next Airbnb? What's going to be the bank of the future going to look like? Um, we now have a uh, kind of an open slate and the biggest constraint is not our ability to, to make things so much as our ability to get creative is to come up with the ideas you know, people talk about the Internet of Things. People have been talking about the future of the the future refrigerator or the future shopping cart for years. But there's the lack of progress is more about a lack of creativity and ideas than it is about a lack of technological capability. We have the technological capability right now. We just don't have the the creative creativity. We don't have the creative capability. So I think that uh, the next phase in our evolution, visual thinking, is going to be very handy for that because. You know, you think about, you know, our problems both politically and, uh, you know, just the, the problems that the world faces, a lot of them are problems related to people not being able to come up with creative solutions, sinking back into either or, whether we raise taxes or everybody starves, you know, this kind of, you know, dichotomies that are really false dichotomies and they're, they're due to a lack of creativity. We need to be, I mean, you know, we're going to evolve when we start, you know, aligning our um, sharing, getting, building shared understanding about what is, and also uh, building shared understanding about what could be and what we could create together. And I think visual thinking is an absolutely key part of that. So to play devil's advocate, there are a large number of people who are successful and who would not describe themselves as visual thinkers. And I've worked with people in organisations, and they. They, they don't want to engage in this kind of activity because I guess, like for whatever reason, the way that their brain works or the way that they've been brought up or whatever, um, they feel like it's not for them. How do you address um, individuals who are resistant to this kind of thing? Well, I, I don't generally uh, try to... I, there's enough people who, who understand it that I don't spend a lot of time with people... Um, Unless they have big budgets, I guess, uh, you know, trying to convince them. Uh, we work in large organizations with, you know, where there's all kinds of different people. So we'll, once we're in working with a client, we will find sometimes people have issues or resistance. And I think the, the easiest and quickest way to get them over is to try a simple, do a simple drawing exercise or something with them that gets them actually realizing, okay, this is not, you know, this isn't something that I can't do. I, you know, I think that. The, the, the issue there is to understand, get underneath whatever belief they're expressing and figure out what need they have. Maybe some people have a need not to look foolish in front of their peers. Um, maybe some people have a need for, for power and authority and they, they feel very confident in their verbal authority, you know, their verbal authority in a meeting or in a business situation. But they, you know, drawing puts them on the same playing field as everyone else and they're going to lose status. Um, they're worried about losing their status, um, or you know, I think that's a matter of understanding that what is the underlying need that they have. Uh, they maybe some people uh, 
feel that it's going to be create a lot of uh, uncertainty for them, and they don't know what it's going to look like. So in, in in that case, maybe you can show them what it's going to look like. You can say, "Here's what we're going to come up. Here's what we're going to kind of thing we're going to be working on. That kind of thing that we're going to come out with." Um, I think it, it depends on the need, but um, I, one thing I I spend a lot of time doing is not necessarily focusing on the beliefs that people are expressing, but I focus on the need that, and where that belief is coming from. And usually that belief is coming from some kind of a personal need. There's a, a model that I really like called the SCARF model. Uh, it comes from a guy named David Rock at the Neuro Leadership Institute. And uh, it's a model that uh, basically there are certain social needs that we have. Um, and SCARF stands for um, those needs. I'll go through them in a second. But um, these social and emotional needs, the brain treats them the same way. If, 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 you lack, if, you're, if you're lacking in something, one of these emotional needs, you're not getting what you need, the brain reacts the same way as if you're not getting enough oxygen or if you're not getting enough food. I mean, it, the brain reacts in a very strong fight-or-flight kind of a way. And you'll see this in, in meetings and you'll see this in people. And here are the needs, because I think they're very useful. The model's very useful. SCARF, so it's S-C-A-R-F. S stands for status. Some people need to feel that they're important. They need to feel that they're not going to lose their status within the group um, based on your, let's say, your visual thinking activity. Uh, another thing is C is certainty. They wanted, people want to be able to feel that they can predict the future. So they want to know that if they go through your visual thinking activity, what's that going to look like and what's going to happen? You know, what do I need to do? What are you going to ask me to do? Uh, some people, um, let's see, uh, uh, A, autonomy. People need to have a feeling of autonomy. They need to feel like they have control. Sometimes that means giving people the option to opt out. Um, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it means giving the option of, hey, if you want to do this as part of a group, great. If you want to go off and draw your own picture, that's fine too. Uh, or whatever. You give them some choices. Um, uh, R is for relatedness. People need to feel like they belong, like they're part of a group. What if everybody else draws better than me? Uh, you maybe you reduce the barrier there, and you you know it's often when I'm facilitating that I will draw a bad drawing on purpose, just to reduce the the level of of um, uh, well, I can't draw. What am I going to have to do? So I'll I'll do something much of a much lower um, quality than I might be capable of. I've noticed uh, my friend Dan Rome does that the same thing. He. He went to design school, but he never talks about that. And he's always drawing stick figures. He's capable of much more, but he's always drawing stick figures. And he's never said this to me explicitly, but I believe pretty strongly that this is a, there's an intentionality behind that. He wants to make this stuff very accessible. Uh, uh, the last one is F, fairness. So I don't think fairness is coming up that much in, uh, in uh, the, the lack of people's fears about visual thinking. Uh, but if for some reason they feel that the, the world isn't fair or they're not going to be being fairly treated or if, if they draw that somehow there's someone else doesn't have to do it or I don't know what that would be. But fairness is another one of those needs that I think is very valuable and important to be aware of. So thinking about all those things, um, you know, if you, if, you, if you find that underlying need, generally speaking, somebody's feeling choked. Someone's feeling emotionally choked. They're emotionally... Um, they're feeling emotionally cut off, and you—I um, I don't think it's skepticism about the power of visual thinking in most cases. I think it's a fear thing. Um, 
And uh, that in that case, the, the way to get around is to find a way to, it's either a fear thing or it's, they're just busy, they don't have time, and they don't think that they need it. It's like, you, there are things you don't feel like you need until you're, you know, you're really, you, you know, you're at the end of your rope. And, um, and, and those people who are, uh, just don't have time for it, then uh, I move on. If I think it's a fear thing, I think it's easier to, you know, to, to get in there and try and understand it. Well, Dave, it is uh, always inspiring and a pleasure to chat to you about this stuff. I've got a bunch of things that I'm going to go away and, uh, and think about some more, and I'd love to do this again because I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, you're absolutely right. Um, it, there's a real groundswell of momentum around this stuff, and it's exciting. So thank you for giving us your time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. And um, if people want to track you down online, where should they go? Well, uh, I'll give you my website and uh, my company's website, which and it's going to be easy because they're almost the same thing. So my company is explain.com, X-P-L-A-N-E.com, and my website's explainer.com, X-P-L-A-N-E-R.com. So, um, and that's uh, just because I'm very focused on the company and it's pretty synonymous with who I am and what I do. So. Um, you can find me at both either or both of those places. And uh, thanks for having me, Matt. Really Good. appreciate being here. Good stuff.